Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the Word. Uh, good morning, church. It's Pastor Rico again, and as always, I'm excited about the opportunity to share God's Word. And believe it or not, today we have a lot to cover. And I know that's scary when I say that. We have a lot to cover. Um, and I thought about sharing not quite as much, but I remember I was thinking uh, when I was first called to preach, one time a stranger came up to me and he said, uh, preach every sermon like it's your last. And uh, I never met him before, never seen him before. He said that and he walked away and I never saw him again. But he, <laughs> yeah, I don't know where he came from. I don't know where he came from. But he said, uh, preach every sermon like it's your last. And I've never, I've never forgotten that. And that's, that's a good philosophy for anything we do in life, isn't it? Anything we do in life, we should do to the best of our ability, and we should give it our all. So if we're covering a lot today, you can blame it on that stranger. You can blame it on him. (laughs) But uh, in addition, you know, in order to truly understand the Word of God, you know, we have a responsibility to spend time in God's Word more than just on Sundays. Amen? Amen? (laughs) And that's why I encourage you to look at the sermon notes. We have sermon notes on on the app. Spend time in God's Word throughout the week. Because the reality is this right here is our spiritual food right here. And think about it. Think about if the only time you ate was uh, once a week on Sunday after church. Think about that. You know, we, we like going to Golden Corral sometimes. Anybody like Golden Corral? I mean, all you can eat, variety, you can stuff yourself, you know, decent price. You know, I, I, we like going to Golden Corral sometimes. But can imagine if you didn't eat the rest of the week. And the only time you ate was once a week was golden, golden, going to Golden Corral. I mean, you might be able to survive. I don't know if anyone's ever tested that, but you might be able to survive. You'd be miserable, wouldn't you? I mean, you'd be physically malnourished. You'd be physically weak. You'd be uh, hangry. Everybody know the word hangry? Everybody know what hangry means? It's a new word. It's in the dictionary now. It's actually in the dictionary now. But it means irritable or angry because you're hungry. I think all of us have, have been there before. And did you know the same thing happens to us spiritually if we're only feeding on God's word well, once a week? You know, when the storms of life comes, what happens? We get depressed, we get upset, we get angry because we're spiritually malnourished, we're spiritually weak, we're spiritually hangry because we have not partaken of God's spiritual food throughout the week. And Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah said, thy words were found and I did eat them and they were found unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. And so if we want to be spiritually healthy, just like with physical food, if we want to be spiritually healthy, spending time in God's word is not an option, but it's a necessity. Amen? Amen. So I encourage you during the course of the week, you know, after this sermon, look at the sermon notes, read God's, spend time in God's word. We have a Bible reading plan. You can join our Bible reading plan. We're going through the New Testament together. But there truly is joy and it, and it truly is, you know, worthwhile spending time in God's word. All right, so today we're going to come out of the 21st chapter of Genesis, and we're going to look at the first five verses there. 21st chapter of Genesis, continuing our preaching series out of the book of Genesis, and we're going to look at the first five verses. And there it reads, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And Isaac means laughter. 
And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, just for another opportunity, Lord, to stand behind this pulpit, Lord, as we prepare once again, Lord, to deliver thy holy and thy most precious word. Lord, as we gather here this morning, Lord, we just ask for the filling of your Holy Spirit, Lord. For we realize that we can do nothing on our own, but as the Apostle Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. So, Lord, as I stand here this morning, again, I ask for the filling of your Holy Spirit, Lord. And I ask and pray that the words that come forth from out of my mouth, Lord, that they would not be mine, but I ask and pray that they might be yours. For we are not here for form or fashion, Lord. We are not here to glorify ourselves, but we are here to lift up your name, that wonderful, awesome, magnificent, glorious, and just precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. So I ask right now, Lord Jesus, that you would strengthen me, Lord, that you would use me and help me to lift up your name. In Jesus Christ's precious and holy name we pray, amen. Our message for this morning is entitled, God is Able. God is Able. Now, as we look at the experiences of Abraham and Sarah in the book of Genesis, even though Abraham was a great man of faith and Sarah was a great woman of faith, just like us, they still had many trials and tribulations that they had to go through. For as you look back at chapters 12 through 20 in the book of Genesis, think about what happened to them in just 25 years period of time. First of all, God told them when Abraham was 75 years old and Sarah was 65 years old to leave their home to leave their family, to leave their friends and and Ur of the Chaldees and go to a place where they didn't even know where they were going. Then shortly after they reached Cain and there was a famine in the land. And instead of waiting on the Lord, Abraham made the mistake of going down to Egypt. And once there, the scripture says, because Sarah was a beautiful woman, he told the half-truth and said that she was his sister instead of his wife in order to protect himself. And this led to Pharaoh taking Sarah to be his wife. Now, as one could imagine, this could have easily ended up in disaster. But thankfully, God intervened. Then in the 13th chapter of Genesis, Abraham's herdsmen and nephew Lot's herdsmen got into a dispute over the land, which caused them to separate. And this eventually led to Abraham having to go to war in order to rescue his nephew Lot from the rival Gentile kings. Later on, we saw a couple of weeks ago in the 16th chapter of Genesis, Abraham and Sarah used fleshly means to try to fulfill God's promise of having a child. And this resulted in the birth of Ishmael through their female slave, Hagar, which caused great turmoil in their home, as well as great turmoil among their descendants. And then last week, 13 years later, in the 17th chapter of Genesis, we saw that God instituted circumcision as a sign that God will keep his promise. But this was also a painful reminder to Abraham that doing things in the flesh and doing things in his own way must die. Then in the 19th chapter of Genesis, Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because of their sin. And there Lot's son-in-laws died, and Lot's wife Pillar was turned into a pillar of salt when she looked back. And therefore, I'm quite sure this also affected Abraham and Sarah. And then in the 20th chapter of Genesis, believe it or not, Abraham repeated the same mistake that he made earlier when he traveled to the land of the Philistines. For there he lied about his wife Sarah again in order to protect himself. And again, he said that she was his sister instead of his wife. 
And this led to the king Abimelech taking Sarah as his wife. But thankfully, once again, God intervened. Thus, we can see that Abraham, in this 25-year period of time, went through all kinds of trials and tribulations. And not all of them are even mentioned, but they went through all kinds of trials and tribulations. But despite all the trials that they endured, what we see in our text today is that God's promise was eventually fulfilled. And Abraham and Sarah received their son Isaac. The second verse of that 21st chapter, again, it says, For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And what this tells us is, no matter what we're going through, and no matter how long it's been, God will always keep his word. Amen? He will always keep his word. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Have he said, and shall he not do it? Or have he spoken, and shall he not make it good? And that's why, church, no matter what we're going through, all we have to do is wait and follow him. For we need to always remember that God is able. Now, as we take a closer look at Isaac's birth, we see several truths that reveal to us that God will do all that he said he will do. So today we want to take a look at these three truths. First, let's look at the first verse, Genesis 21.1 again. And there it reads, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. So the first thing we see is that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Even though the promise made to Abraham that he would be the father of many took 25 years to fulfill, and even though Abraham didn't have this son until he was 100 years old, When God told him that his seed would be many, Abraham believed God because he knew that God was sovereign. Romans 4, 17, it says that Abraham believed God who quickeneth, that means brings to life the dead and calls those things which are not as though they were. In other words, Abraham had faith and believed that the same God who gives life to the dead could also give him a child, even though his body was as good as dead. And that's because he knew that God was sovereign. And when we say that God is sovereign, that simply means that he has control over everything. And he has the power to do whatever he wants. Do you believe that? For there is not a single event that occurs in this world that my God does not allow. And the Lord will only allow that to occur which is for his glory. And that's why I know that all men, all women... All events and all circumstances are merely instruments in our Lord's hand. Isaiah 46.10 says, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Therefore, as a sovereign God, the Lord determined all by himself that Abraham would be saved, that he would have a child at his old age, that he would be the father of the Hebrew race. And this is just one example of God's sovereignty. Sometimes when we look at the condition of this world, it's hard to believe that God is sovereign and that he's in control. We've got the war in Ukraine, COVID-19, political division, racial injustices, fires, hurricanes, sexual immorality, abortion, violence, drugs. If you look at the news, if it's not one thing, it's another thing. But even with all this, my God is still in control. Daniel 2.20 says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. 
Now, I'll be the first to admit that it doesn't always look like God is in control because sin is running rampant. And because of sin, we will go through some sorrow and we will go through some pain. And the difficult part to understand is if God is in control, and he is in control, but sometimes we wonder if God is in control, why doesn't he eliminate all this sorrow? Why doesn't he eliminate all this pain, especially for those of us who are trying our best to serve him? Have you ever thought about that? I know I have before. But you know, in church, on this side of glory, that's, that's something that we may never fully understand. Nevertheless, that does not change the fact that God ultimately uses all things for his glory. If God can take the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was the most wicked act conducted in the history of mankind, and use that for his glory, the same thing is true for anything else that we may have to go through in this world. For my God is sovereign, and he's in complete control. And one example that reminds us of this fact is when we take a look at the birth of Isaac. For believe it or not, Isaac's birth is a beautiful picture of the birth of Jesus Christ. For just as Isaac was born through a miracle, when Sarah's womb was as good as dead, the Lord wants us to realize that nothing is impossible with God, including our Lord Jesus being born through a virgin. Therefore, every time we look at the miraculous birth of Isaac, we should think of the greater miracle of the birth of our Lord Jesus, who was born into this world sinless through a virgin in order to save mankind. For look at some of the ways in which the birth of Isaac is a picture of the birth of Jesus Christ. So we've got this table here. You can also look at it online. First of all, Isaac was the promised son. Jesus was also the promised son. In Isaiah, it says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel or God with us. There was a lengthy interval of 25 years between God's promise and the actual birth of Isaac. Well, there was a lengthy interval of at least 4,000 years between God's promise and the actual birth of Christ. When Isaac's birth was announced, his mother Mary questioned it and the Lord responded by declaring his power. For she said, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? And the Lord's response was, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Well, in the same way, when Jesus' birth was announced, his mother Mary questioned it, and the Lord responded by declaring his power. For Mary said, when she was told she would have a son, how shall this be since I am a virgin? And the Lord said through the angel, nothing will be impossible with God. Isaac was named before he was born. Jesus was named before he was born. Matthew 1.21 says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Isaac's birth occurred at God's appointed time. Jesus' birth occurred at God's appointed time. Galatians 4.4 says, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son born of a woman. Isaac's birth required a miracle. Jesus' birth was also a miracle. And Matthew, it says, when his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And the name Isaac, which means laughter, declared him to be his father's delight. Well, the son of God, Jesus, was also his father's delight. This is why he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. 
Thus, when we see all the many ways, and that's just a few of them, but when we see all the many ways in which the miraculous birth of Isaac, who was born 2,000 years before our Lord, is similar to the miraculous birth of Jesus Christ, this lets us know that my God is in control. Who could do that but God himself? Amen? Who could do that but God himself? He is in control. And this truth should be especially comforting to the saints. For when we realize that my God is sovereign and he's in control, this reminds us that nothing interferes with God's plan. Nothing takes God by surprise. Nothing is done outside of his permissive will. And nothing happens that my God doesn't know about. We may not understand everything, and there may be times we wonder why, but God has a reason for everything that we go through. And he will use the child of God's experiences as a means for us to draw closer to him. Therefore, when we realize that God is sovereign, we can say like Paul, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we realize that God is sovereign, we can say like David in the 34th Psalm, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. When we realize that God is sovereign, we can say like Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. When we realize that God is sovereign, we can say like David, weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And when we realize that God is sovereign, we know what the Lord meant when he said, my grace is sufficient for thee. For church, my God is sovereign. My God is in control. My God is on the throne. My God is working it out. And my God's will will be done. Why? Because God is able. Do you believe that? No matter what you go through in life, and we're going to go through some hard times in life, but never forget God is able. Amen? All right, let's look at uh, Isaac 21st chapter, verse 2 now. Verse 2. And there it reads, For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. For Sarah conceived... And bear Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. So the first thing we saw was that God is sovereign. The second thing we see is that God is faithful. God is faithful. Even though Abraham was childless, when the Lord told him that he would have a son and his seed would be as numerous as the stars in the sky, Abraham believed God. Why? Because he knew God was faithful. And we should have the same faith in the faithfulness of God. For whether it's been five years, 25 years, 250 years, or 2,500 years, God will do all that he said he will do. But it's going to be in his time and not our own. This was proven to Abraham when he had his son Isaac. And the same thing is true for us. For in his word, right here in his word, God has given us promise after promise after promise after promise, hasn't he? And all he wants us to do like Abraham is simply believe, simply believe what God said in his word. In Isaiah, he says, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. 
It shall not, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. For example, the psalmist knew that God was faithful and that he always keeps his word. And that's why when he prayed, he called upon the promises of God. And we should do the exact same thing. When we pray, we should call upon the promises of God. 119th Psalm, the psalmist said, Strengthen thou me according to thy word. Be merciful unto me according to thy word. Give me understanding according to thy word. Deliver me according to thy word. For the psalmist knew if God said it, there was a 100% guarantee that it would be done. Amen? You believe that? 100% guarantee that it would be done. And we've got to have the same faith in God. For it doesn't matter how long it's been, God will do all that he said he will do. However, it's going to be in God's time and not our own. We tend to think things have to happen right away when we want them to. And if they don't, we think that something's wrong with God. But God will fulfill his promise at exactly the right time. Not a second too soon, not a second too late. For us, it might seem like a long wait, but God will eventually do all that he said he will do. Abraham knew God would do what he said he would do when he had his son Isaac. Moses knew God would do what he said he would do when he crossed the Red Sea. Joshua knew God would do what he said he would do when he marched around the walls of Jericho. Daniel knew God would do what he said he would do when he was thrown into the lion's den. They knew what Solomon meant when he said, there has not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses, his servant. And this is encouraging to us because it lets us know that we can always stand on the promises of God. And therefore, if we have given our life to Christ as children of God, we are of all people most blessed. Amen? We are all people most blessed. And we should never forget how blessed we are. Our sins have been completely forgiven. We now have peace with God. We can rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We of all people are most blessed if you have given your life to Christ. Sadly, that's not what we always see among the saints. For there are so many saints living defeated Christian lives, not trusting in the promises of God. And what happens many times is that we end up falling into sin and then we try running away from the Lord. We stop coming to church. We stop reading the word. We start avoiding the saints because we're living in sin and we're trying to run from God. And that's when we become depressed. That's when we become bitter. That's when we become angry. That's when we have no joy because we've turned away from the source of joy, and that is Jesus Christ. But instead of running from God, what the Lord wants us to do is simply run to God. For the Lord just wants us to repent and submit ourselves to him. For even when we fall short, and all of us are going to fall short sometimes, but even when we fall short, did you know that we still serve a merciful and faithful God? 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful by whom you are calling to the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
And because God is faithful, even when we make mistakes, not an excuse to make a mistake, not an excuse to fall into sin, but even when we make mistakes, even when we fall short, even when we don't always do what the Lord would have us to do, my God is still ready to forgive. So many times we feel we're not good enough for God, that we've done too many bad things in our life, that God can never forgive a sinner like me. But I thank God, God's mercy is greater than that. Amen? His mercy is greater than that. All he says, all you've got to do is submit yourself to our Lord Jesus, repent, and be washed in his blood, and God will forgive. For God's mercy is forgiving. Micah said, who is a God likened to thee that pardons iniquity? He retains not his anger forever because he delights in mercy. God's mercy is plentiful. David said, for thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive. And you have plenty of mercy for those who call upon him. God's mercy is eternal. The psalmist said, praise ye the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And God's mercy is great. The psalmist said, for thy mercy is great unto above the heavens, and thy truth reacheth unto the clouds. That's why God says, don't worry about your past. Don't worry about your mistakes. Don't worry about your sins. Simply repent and come to Jesus, and he's always ready to forgive. Jeremiah, he said, I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. That's why the psalmist said in the 136th Psalm, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord of lords, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of heaven, for his mercy endureth forever. And that's why we should thank God for his faithfulness, because God is able. Amen? He is able. He is able and always willing to forgive, and therefore we should come running to him, because God is able. All right, last but not least, let's look at verses 3 through 5 in that 21st chapter of Genesis. 3 through 5. And there it reads, And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. I'll read that verse five again. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. So the first thing we saw is that God was sovereign. The second thing we see is that God is faithful. And last but not least, we've already talked about this, God is able. God is able. Despite Abraham's seemingly impossible situation, he continued to believe that God is able. For because of God's power, he knew that God was able to do whatever needed to be done. And we need to have the same faith in the Lord. For throughout his word, God tells us that he is able. Second chapter of Hebrews, he is able to help them that are tempted. Hebrews 7.25, he is able also to save them completely that come unto God by him. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him that is able to do, and I, I put the wrong verse there, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. And therefore, if we truly believe 
that God is able, there's no need to worry about what's going to happen today. If we truly believe that God is able, there is no need to worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. Amen? If we truly believe that God is able, there is no need to worry about anything. All we've got to do is put everything in the hands of the Lord. For our Lord Jesus Christ, he is able to meet your every need. Do you believe that? The Lord Jesus Christ is able to meet your every need. In Romans, Romans 4.21, says Abraham was fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And God's great power and the fact that he is able is shown to us in so many different ways. First of all, the fact that God is able is shown in his power over man. We like to emphasize that man has a free will and we think we have the power to do whatever we want to do. But the reality is even though we may have a free will, we are still simply clay in the potter's hand. And if God chooses to, he can make us do whatever his will is. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As a river of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. And that's why, as James says, you ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live, it. We shall live and do this or do that. For the reality is we can't do anything on our own, but everything is according to God's will because God is able. And the fact that God is able is also shown in his creation over the world. For everything in this world, the sun, the moon, the grass, the trees, the land, the sea, you and me, we are all created by God. This world did not come out of nothing, but it was created by him. Well, he made it out of nothing, but it was created by him. Therefore, everything belongs to the Lord. Psalms 89, 11 says, The heavens are thine, the earth is also thine. As for the world and the fullness thereof, thou hast founded them. And God's power and the fact that he is able is more than what we can even imagine. Now, we're just starting to enter into the hurricane season. We just had a hurricane on the west coast, and I'm quite sure it won't be long before we have a hurricane here on the east coast. And I still remember Hurricane Isabel 20 years ago. Anybody remember that hurricane? Hurricane Isabel 20 years ago. Young people here, you probably weren't born yet. But <laughs> it was 20 years ago. And I, I'm from New York. And we never had hurricanes. We had snowstorms. We never had hurricanes. So I, didn't even, I barely even knew what a hurricane was. But then when we had Hurricane Isabel 20 years ago, that was just a Category 2 hurricane. But it was something I will never forget. Remember what happened during that hurricane? Trees uprooted, electricity gone, people running from the coast, people staying in shelters, some people killed, houses destroyed, cars destroyed, roads were closed, food was spoiling, you couldn't get gas, you couldn't get money, no clean water, no computer, no cell phone. Our lives were turned completely upside down. And that was just from one short storm that was here maybe five o'clock in the evening and then gone by midnight. But that gives us just a glimpse of what the power of my God can do. And that's why we should never take God for granted. For we may think that we're self-sufficient, but all of us are completely dependent upon God. Every single one of us are completely dependent upon God. 
That was clearly shown to us during that hurricane. But in the midst of it all, God still showed his grace, for it could have been much worse. And believe it or not, God had a lesson for us to learn even in the midst of that hurricane. For one thing that stood out in that hurricane was the number of trees that were uprooted, yet some were still able to stand. And I believe, matter of fact, I know that there's a lesson that we can learn from this. For did you know in the scriptures, our spiritual walk is often compared to a tree? 17th chapter of Jeremiah. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters and that spreadeth out her roots by the river. Psalm 92.12. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. First Psalm. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like what? A tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper." And those are just three of many scriptures that compare the Christian to a tree. Therefore, there are several things that the child of God can learn about our spiritual walk just by looking at a tree. Think about it. First of all, a tree grows inwardly, for there's a seed on the inside that allows it to grow. Well, that's the same way that we grow. For by faith, we allow God's seed, the word of God, to be planted in us. 1 Peter 1.23 says, We are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. Secondly, a tree cannot grow by itself, but it needs sunlight and water from above. Well, in the same way, we cannot grow on our own, but we need to be spiritually nourished from above by Jesus Christ, his spirit, and his word. That's why 1 Peter 2, 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. Third, when a tree grows, you cannot see it growing if you look at it every day. But it grows gradually, day after day, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. If I look at a tree yesterday, compare it to today, I don't see any growth whatsoever. But if you, you let a few years go by, all of a sudden you see this great big tree and you don't even know where it came from. Well, did you know the same thing is true for us spiritually? If I look at my life yesterday compared to today, I don't see any change whatsoever. But thanks be to God, if I look back over my life, if I look back five years, 10 years, 20 years, 25 years, prayerfully, I see some growth. Therefore, just like a tree, we don't grow all at once, but we grow spiritually a little bit at a time. 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Fourth, a tree grows upward. For the more it grows, the more it reaches towards heaven and away from the earth. Well, did you know the same thing happens to us spiritually? For the more we grow, we are no longer concerned with earthly things, but now our focus is on heavenly things. Third chapter of Colossians, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above and not on things on the earth. Fifth, a tree grows outward for the more it grows, the more branches it has and the more fruit it bears. Would you know the same thing is true for us? 
If we are growing spiritually, our outward life will show it and we will bear much fruit for the glory of God. That's why our Lord Jesus said, by their fruit, ye shall know them. And last, but certainly not least, the most important part of a tree's growth is that it must grow downward. For as that hurricane showed, a tree is only as strong as its roots. Well, did you know the same thing is true for us? We have to grow downwards by humbling ourselves and staying rooted in Jesus Christ. For it's not about us, but it's all about him. Second chapter of Colossians says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. Thus, what that hurricane taught us is if you want to endure the storms of life, you must be rooted in Jesus Christ. If we are not rooted in him, just as those trees are uprooted, our lives will be uprooted. But if you're rooted in Jesus Christ, you can make it through anything you might have to go through. For my Lord Jesus has power over hurricanes, power over fires, power over life, power over death, power over sickness, power over sin, power over man, power over angels, power over demons, power over Satan, and power over all things. And that's why we've got to stay rooted in him. Amen? Rooted in Jesus Christ. Don't let the storms of life blow you away. Stay rooted in Jesus Christ. And Jesus gave us just a glimpse of that power in the fourth chapter of Matthew when he demonstrated that even nature must obey him. You remember Jesus and the 12 disciples were crossing the Sea of Galilee when a tremendous storm began to arise. Wind was blowing furiously. Waves pounded the ship. Water began to fill the boat. Jesus was asleep in the back part of the ship when the disciples woke him up frightened and saying, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And Jesus arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And the disciples said, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? But what the disciples failed to realize was this was not the power of man, but it was the power of God. For what man can stop the winds and calm the raging sea? What man can spit in the clay and make a blind man to see? What man can feed 5,000 with two fish and five loaves of bread? What man can go to Lazarus and raise him from the dead? What man can heal the sick? What man can raise the dead? That was not the power of man. But it was the power of God. That's why we need to always remember, my God can do anything. No matter what you're going through in life, my God can do anything. Because God is able. Amen? He's able, church. He's able. I don't care what you're going through. And we all go through different things in life. But my God is able. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you truly are able. So oftentimes we, we, we tend to forget that when we're going through the storms of life. And we're, we're being knocked to and fro and we don't know how we're going to make it. But Lord, if we can just stay rooted in you and recognize your great power 
recognize your great love, recognize who you are, then we know, and we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are able, and you are able to pull us through. I pray, Lord, that we would remember that during our Christian walk, Lord. And if there's someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, I pray that they might come to know that my God is able. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But, but, if, but God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I just pray that if someone doesn't know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, they might come crying out right now and say, what must I do to be saved? And prayerfully, they will come to know that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and he is able. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.